back. It's episode 20 of The Build. We've done 19 of those. This is the 20th one. I only point that out because I kind of can't believe that I'm still doing this. Um, I have a hard time uh, committing to things like this and committing the time. And it's become a nice little Monday afternoon ritual for me to just uh, sit down and talk into a microphone about, you know, dumb hockey things kind of nice if you're a regular here welcome back i thank you uh thanks for for sticking with me on this if you're new i appreciate you giving it a shot uh, i believe you vote with your time and your money so if i'm getting either of those things i'm greatly appreciative of it so thanks for uh hanging out um if you were here last week i said you know that this might this show might be slowing down for the season because news might become be, might become harder to come by um and ken hughes said hold my beer and did a bunch of Kent Hughes things. So we're going to talk about some Kent Hughes things that he did and might be doing. Um, I get the feeling that there's one or two more big moves left before we can call it an offseason. But we'll have to see. Um, so more on that later. But first, we did have a trade. And it's a pretty big one. Um, so let's, let's, let's start with that. And work our way through the natural progression of things. Um, as it pertains to the offseason that Kent Hughes is undergoing with the Montreal Canadiens. So, I was out of the house on Saturday. I went fishing, got rained on. Not a big deal. Um, before I went fishing, I was out at the store picking up some things. And I saw a notification on my phone that the Penguins traded John Marino, a, a defenseman with a $4.4 million cap hit, to the Devils for Ty Smith and a draft pick. And I read that, and I wondered if that meant the Penguins were somehow making room for Jeff Petrie. That ended up being somewhat the case, although you'll you know the trade as it as it actually happened between Montreal and Pittsburgh, there's probably not a huge need to do that. But here it is: the totality of the trade, the Montreal Canadiens send Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling to the Penguins in exchange for Michael Matheson and a 2023 fourth-round draft pick. Uh, Jeff Petrie, at 34 years old, has three more years on his contract, uh, worth 6.25 million per season against the cap. Ryan Paling, at 23, has one more year remaining on his deal that will pay him $750,000. He will be an RFA at the end of that deal. And Mike Matheson, at 28, has four more years left on his deal with a 4.875 AAV. Um, more more on that later because the actual structure of his contract is very interesting. Um, and I'll be honest, and I was honest on Twitter when I was kind of, when we were all kind of piecing together what the deal was going to be. Um, I was and still remain a little disappointed in the deal, far less disappointed now than I was at the beginning. Um, in fact, I wouldn't even say I'm completely disappointed with it now, just there's tinges of that left. But, you know, when this deal broke, I wasn't thrilled with it. It wasn't, it did not wow me like a trade that I thought would happen with the Montreal Canadiens sending Jeff Petrie out of town. Um, first, selfishly, I really liked Jeff Petrie. He was probably my favorite Montreal Canadian over the last six, six years or so. Um, it's a real shame that his time in Montreal had to end this way, but because of his family situation, it did need to end. Um, Second, I think he was just a really good Montreal Canadian. Regardless of my personal feelings of him, the numbers don't lie. Um, he was Montreal's most consistent defenseman, both offensively and defensively, over the last eight years. I know the counter-argument is Shea Weber, but Petrie's point production was just 
more consistent, mostly because he was healthier. Um, his last five seasons in point totals, starting from the um, starting from five years ago and going until this last season, his point totals were 42, 40, 46, 42, and then 27 last season, which was rough. Um, but nothing went right for him last season. I think it's obvious that that one is an outlier. Um, the return for Petrie, I don't even want to say it's bad. It's just not what I expected. It's not, and not, you know, I have my own qualms about it from a value standpoint, but just from a what these parts look and feel like, I I thought that the return was weird. And I don't think that I was correct in that feeling of, you know, this return doesn't make any sense because Kent Hughes was very clear to us when he talked about a trade involving Jeff Petrie, and we'll get into that a little bit. But Montreal gets another NHL defenseman, a strong uh, defenseman from a lot of analytical uh, metrics, a lot of the, you know, the advanced underlying numbers, um, you know, driving play, that sort of thing. And they get a mid-round pick, and they trade a former first-round pick um, in Ryan Paling, who just wasn't really panning out in Montreal, um, and they get a, a mid-round pick next year. Nothing really in the way of futures, which shocked me in the moment, but I, after, remembering, after remembering what Kent Hughes has said all along, it really shouldn't have shocked me. Um, Hughes made it clear that he wanted to get another veteran defenseman so that the young guys weren't put in sink or swim situations without Jeff Petrie there. I just always thought that the Petrie deal would have ha- would have been something unrelated to finding that new defenseman, but Hughes saw this as an opportunity to, to make a hockey trade, to trade a defenseman who wants out for a defenseman that he can keep, um, which does make sense philosophically. He didn't really want to trade Jeff Petrie. I think Hughes genuinely wanted to keep him around for the rebuild. But Petrie's family situation made that untenable, so he made a deal that keeps Montreal's defense afloat for the time being while, you know, acquiescing to this player's trade requests. Um, With all that said, I still don't think the value was quite there. Like, I think that they could have gotten more, especially considering they added in another player. Um, But looking around the league at the other deals that were made, um, you know, the trade market for high cap uh, high cap hit players is completely broken. Pacioretty and Burns went to Carolina for literally nothing. Um, I can, I can, you can still be disappointed in it and it be the best possible value out there. Um, I think that's possible. I think they're just dealing him at a very inopportune time, which is what it is, right? Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die on the hill that Ken Hughes is a bad general manager for making this trade. I think he's a a good dude for making this trade because. He probably wanted to keep Jeff Petrie. I think he said that all along, but he understood that Petrie wanted to be out so that he could be in a better situation for him and his family. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that my initial thought was, what what was the point of this trade then? And so, so I, I tried to pick apart what this trade accomplishes. Um, first and foremost, as I've said, it facilitates that trade request made by a player put in a really tough spot. I don't think Jeff Petrie hated it in Montreal as much as everyone liked to spin that narrative last year when he was just having an absolutely miserable time, both on the ice and probably off of it because he wasn't seeing his family as much as he would have wanted. I think life just got really hard for him and his family over the last two years, and I think everyone needs to cut him a little bit more slack for that. Um, I mean, think of where you were two years ago and where you are now. Like, How different is your life now because 
of the pandemic. It's probably pretty different. Um, second, the trade saves a little bit of cap space, but <laughs> that was almost immediately spent because um, so, so between Petrie and, and Matheson, over the next three years, they'll save $1.375 million against the cap. However, in that fourth year, because Petrie's contract would have been coming off the books, they're essentially on the hook for 4.4 whatever um, Matheson makes, which isn't that big of a deal. By then, the contract situation will be much easier. I think in four years, Carey Price's hit is off the books. So, you know, you, you're able to, to eat that cap hit a little bit easier in four years. Um, it's very clear that Hughes is operating on a money in money out system right now because of where they are in the salary cap with, with their salary cap situation. We'll get to that. Um, because, and, and my notes are already out of date because of a signing that happened today, which I'll get to, um, all but 275 grand of the money that they saved over the next three years went to Rem Pitlick and his new contract extension. Um, and the third thing it does is I think. It, it does make Montreal younger. Um, Matheson is younger than Petrie by a little less than six years. He's under contract for longer, but he'll be younger than Petrie is now when his contract ex- when his contract expires in four years. So they do get, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of people not, I think this, I think it's going a lot in both directions right now with, with the way that this trade has been viewed. A lot of people are saying, you know, I've, I've, I've read a lot that, you know, people are saying, well, Matheson, uh, he's still developing as a defenseman. He's not. He's 28 years old. Like, he might get better, but he, I don't think he's developing. I think if, you put, if you're putting him in a new situation, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation. But we're talking about a defenseman who is, who is four years into an eight-year contract that he signed with the Florida Panthers. So I don't think it's it's reasonable to say that Mike Michael Matheson is still um developing um but you know on on top of that it goes the other way too right like like a lot of people are saying that this trade doesn't really do anything in in the youth factor sorry I just bumped my microphone um but it does he's he's younger much younger than Petrie and he will be younger than Petrie is now when this contract ends and maybe he'll stick around um okay Let's let's. I want to take a look now at Ryan Paling because I think he's kind of the forgotten piece in all of this. Um, it was just not working out for him in Montreal. Uh, I don't think all of that was his fault. First, the last front office had absolutely no plans for player development. I don't think you could look at a single player within the Canadian system and tell me that the the previous front office had a a plan for their development from start to finish with achievable goals. And and the proper framework in place to make that to make those goals a reality for that player. So I think with everybody that's come through the system and has been moved out because it hasn't been a fit, you have to put that asterisk on it. They're just they're not good enough. Um, you know, Paling made a, a great first impression in the NHL. He scored a hat trick in his in his uh, debut and the shootout winner on Hockey Night in Canada. In what I believe was Bob Cole's last last game, uh, you know, last time calling an NHL game. So it's, he he kind of you know for an American he, that was his little Canadian heritage moment, right? Like he's he was never going to live up to that expectation again, um, even if we tempered it and said, well, he's not going to do that. But we we you know maybe we have like a forty point player here. I just don't think that's who he is. Um, 
And even so, you know, with all of that, with, with, with his development being non-existent because of the front office or his, his debut being, you know, so far, so far removed from what he was ever going to be as an NHL player, if he even panned out fully, he still had a laundry list of injuries that kept him from playing a lot of meaningful games. Since he signed his entry-level contract, he's played a total of 156 professional games between Montreal and Laval. He's averaging 39 games a season. Like, it's just, he wasn't playing enough. And some of that was because he was hurt. Some of, some, I would imagine some of it was because he just couldn't crack the, the lineup. There were a lot of situations where, I think it was, maybe not this last season, but the season before, where, you know, we were looking at it saying there's a center spot available for Ryan Paling out of training camp if he just can grasp it. He just has to step up and take it, and he just never did. Um, so he ends up being a player that left a lot to be desired, especially as a former first-round pick, and I have a lot on that later. But, you know, Ryan Paling, I, I don't want to call him a throw-in in the trade, because I think he's someone that Pittsburgh can probably get some value out of. Like, imagine you're, like, he's going to be put in a better situation to 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 succeed in Pittsburgh, I would imagine. Um, unlike Matheson, uh, I do not recall watching a single shift of Mike Matheson playing hockey last season, so I will defer to the experts. And in this situation, that is Penguins fans who are nice to me. Um, I have two, I, for those who don't know, I, I, I we don't really write it anymore, but... Um, the hockey newsletter is a lot of fun. Um, we write a lot of really dumb things. Um, and it's mostly with Penguins fans, just because that's they're all buds, and I somehow infiltrated their their click. Um, but my buddy Jeff, at Jeff with an O on Twitter, of Penn's blog and hockey newsletter fame, and my friend Ryan, at RL Not Stein, also of hockey newsletter fame, uh, hooked me up with their thoughts on the newest Montreal Canadian in Mike Matheson in our very... Uh, illustrious discord server uh and here's what they had to say jeff says this you will either love or hate matheson no one no in between he's a meme dude can skate can't defend every shift is an adventure i'll miss seeing him make the most insane plays in his own end and somehow redeem himself he will turn the puck over behind his own net and then somehow lead an odd man rush the other way in the same shift like four times a game not exaggerating uh ryan chips in uh, I've, I've also watched him make a picture-perfect defensive play, breaking up a two-on-one, only to keep the puck um, rather than give it to Latang and attempt a dog-shit pass that gets picked off. So, like, he can defend, he just doesn't. And Jeff finishes with, he's Leroy Jenkins. And for those who don't know, go on YouTube and search Leroy Jenkins. I don't know how young this audience is. Um, I don't know where you're at in your internet uh, knowledge if you don't know who Leroy Jenkins is. So it seems like Montreal's getting a high-event defenseman, which is the nice way of saying when he's on the ice, a lot of things happen. Um, that's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you're going to get the best, you're going to get the best parts out of him in rushing up the ice, and you're going to get the worst parts out of him when he has to play defense. Um, it's not the worst kind of player to have when you're going for Connor Bedard, right? Um, he'll at least be kind of fun on the ice. He's a one thing to, to notice. He's a left-hand shot instead of a right-hand shot. He can play the right side. But I think it also gives Montreal a really obvious number one power play target um, at the point, who I think is a lot more of a natural pass to Cole Caulfield if he's playing in that right face-off dot, um, or the left face-off dot, depending on where you're standing. That was never really something that worked well with Petrie because he was always facing the wrong way. 
So a left-handed shot there is, I think, going to pay dividends for, for the Canadians on the power play. I, I really think that, that it's something as simple as that could crack that power play open. Um, he's a Montreal native. Kent Hughes was his agent. Um, and I, I do want to note, because this sort of thing drives me a little nuts, um, I kind of wish we would stop saying players are, quote, the kinds of guys you'd want your daughter to marry, which is what Kent Hughes said about him. I know what you're trying to do. I know what you mean when you say that, but it's it's really weird. It's a weird thing to say. So stop being weird. Okay, done with that. Um, on Matheson's contract, this is what I find interesting. So Matheson's contract has a lower an annual value, which is what the cap hit ends up being. But he's about to see his actual dollar amount taken home increase after this upcoming season. So this season, he's got $4 million in base salary, no signing bonuses. The last three years of the deal are signing bonus heavy. He gets $2.5 million, $2.5 million, and $2 million. And each year, the salary total is $6.5 million over the last three years of the deal. So money out, the Canadians are probably paying... I think they're paying more than they would have paid for Jeff Petrie or about even, but the cap hit stays low at, at 4.875. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense that the Penguins wanted to move that deal. Um, you know, they they if it, it's a lot of money to just pay out as opposed to cap hit. But in reality, they didn't want to move him at all. Kent Hughes, if he is to be believed... Um, because who knows if he's telling the truth, but I would imagine he's not lying to us about something like this. Um, Hughes told the media meeting after the, the, the trade was announced that the Penguins really didn't want to trade Matheson at all, but Hughes insisted he was part of the deal. Um, if the name of the game for general managers is stealing players and assets the other team doesn't want to give up, Hughes is doing pretty well. Um, you know, that story in The Athletic about the uh, negotiations for um, Arturi Lykanen, where you know, Joe Sackick was just trying to get it, Lekkonen for Baron one for one, and Hughes just kept saying no, 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 until finally he gave that second round pickup and Montreal was able to, um, you know, say goodbye to Arturi Lekkonen. So, Montreal gets a good player back in this trade, a good younger player back. In my opinion, they did send the better player the other way, but if you want to call them even, that's fine. Um, we're going to see how it plays out. I'm very excited to see Mike Matheson play hockey. Um, I do think that this was Hughes' toughest con his toughest trade so far when it comes to fan reaction and just my own general reaction. Um, there's always, there's like, like I said earlier, there's a lot of spin on this that, that fans are putting on it that I think is a lot. After digesting the trade, it's not as bad as I thought it was originally, but it's still not... I just, I think it's the worst value he got. It's not to say he got fleeced. I don't think he, I don't think he got fleeced. I think it's an obvious win for the Penguins, but I don't think he got fleeced in any, in any capacity. Um, final line on Ryan Paling as a Montreal Canadian. 85 games, 13 goals, 9 assists, 22 points for the uh, former first round pick. And the final line on Jeff Petrie and my resignation as uh, president of the Jeff Petrie family, or sh I should say co-president, uh, along with uh, Scott Matla of Locked on Canadians. Final line on Petrie as a Montreal Canadian, 508 games, 70 goals, 178 assists, 248 points, a few broken fingers, two red eyes, 
and one Petri Fenora shirt that I will hang from the rafters in my apartment. Um, so long, Jeff. I, I'm going to be rooting for the Penguins. I'd love to see them win another cup, and it would be even cooler if it was with Jeff Petri. Um, you know who was a former Penguin? Mark Bergevin. He played in Pittsburgh. And I do want to note, the, I, I made a tweet this week that, that got some attention about the first-round picks under Mark Bergevin. He made 10 of them. Uh, and the list is really sad <laughs> looking at it. Um, with Palin getting traded, I wasn't the only one to do this. A lot of other people looked at it. I think Habslaff and I sent out essentially the same tweet at the exact same time. Um, and it's not great. So let me just read it. Um, Galchenyuk traded McCarran bust Sherback bust Juleson injury, Sergachev traded Paling traded Kotkaniemi offer sheet. Caulfield, hey, that's a good one. Gooley, might be good. Maya, oof. It's just not a great history in the first round for a guy who insisted on never trading that pick. When, you know, you think about, like, the guys who would have been available in years where the Canadians were going for it. Like, you know, the 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 14, you know, the 2013-14 Canadians through, like, the 2016 Canadians. Like, when they were really going for it, could you have traded the pick that was, like, that became Noah Juleson? Could you have traded the pick that became Nikita Sherback? Could you have traded the pick that became Ryan Paling? He was traded real late in the—or he was picked real late in the first round. So it's just brutal. I, I've also—that tweet also— unintentionally reignited the Maya debate again, which was not my intention, but some dudes just completely love to fill their diaper inflating the value of that prospect. Like, he... he Maya played 12 games. He has played 12 games since he was drafted. Some of that because the OHL suspended him indefinitely, and at the, at the new year, he needed to reapply for reinstatement. And part of that is because he played, he came back in, played 12 games, and blew out his shoulder. So, he was always going to be a boom-bust prospect from the from what I've noticed, or from what I've read of other people. So, I, you know, there were people, like, saying that he's going to be better than Gooley. I, I don't think anybody realistically believes that. So, if you're call, if you're, if that's the, the hill you're dying on, I'm wondering why you're dying on that hill. Because I know it's not because you actually think Logan Maya is that great. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, so that cap space that they saved, it's gone because Rem Pitlick is back. Um, signing was a nice little bit of business for Hughes and company. He was a free agent because they refused to qualify him because that would have meant he was going to go to arbitration and he would have gotten more money. And instead, he sticks around in an, in a, in an environment that was really um, positive for him. Um he gets a two-year contract at $1.1 million per season, um, even if, or more realistically, when his sky-high shooting percentage comes back down to earth, 1.1 is still good value for a, a, a fourth-line player, a third-line player. Um, it's possible that maybe he's just like Paul Byron, <laughs> that like his base level of shooting percentage is around 20. But even if he's not, and he's like a 25-point player, He's still useful in a bottom six role. He's a penalty killer. Um, you know, a hard, I, I like watching Rem Pitlick play hockey. I just hope it's not in the top six like it was last year. So that was an easy win for, for Hughes and company. I'm happy to see Rem Pitlick back. 
so that we maintain our status of at least having two Pitlicks in the organization. Um, and as of Monday afternoon, um, so is Sam Montembeau. He signs a two-year one-way deal, which does not mean he can be sent down to the minors without waivers. That's something that the NHL video games have poisoned everyone's brain about. One way just means he's paid the same amount no matter where he plays, whether that's Montreal or Laval. So um, Marc-Antoine Godin has the cap hit at about $1 million a season. Um, so he gets paid that regardless of, of where he plays, Laval or Montreal. It leaves Montreal with $248,334 in cap space with no LTIR being used. Um, and they still have Kirby Doc left to sign. So at this point, like... Saying you're waiting on another shoe to drop is a massive understatement. I'm waiting on about six pairs of shoes to drop. Um, so back to Montembeau, it's good for him. I'm glad he gets the, the you know the job security. He gets a two year deal. Um, he he probably had the least enviable situation in the entire league last season. Third string injured goaltender on the worst Montreal Canadiens team of all time, um, and it's a situation that he didn't choose to be in. He was in Florida, and Mark Bergevin claimed him on waivers. Um, you know, the fact that he wants to come back, I know he's a hometown kid, but the fact that after everything that happened last year, he still wants to come back. is like a minor miracle. Um, you know, I, I, I'm rooting for him because he's on this hockey team and he seems like a, a good dude. So, you know, the fact that he endured all of that and still wants to come back is fantastic. The cap hit is also completely variable if he clears waivers and is and goes down to Laval. So, you know, they can just that cap hit will just come off the books for the Canadians. Um if if Carey Price is healthy, what does this mean? Um, does that make moving J I almost said Josh Allen, as in like the the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. If, if Price is healthy healthy, does that now make moving Jake Allen easier? Um, Allen only has one season left, this upcoming season left on his deal, and he was committed two years to Sam Montembeau. I do think that's going to be something interesting to watch. I think that Allen might be a guy that's gone at the deadline if Montreal has three healthy goaltenders, um, because they're currently spending $14.375 million on goaltending, which is not something I'd think they want to do long-term. Um, so if Price isn't healthy, Allen Montembeau right out the year. It's not a terrible position to be in, but I do wonder what this means for Jake Allen. Um, you know, I wonder if, you know, there are some teams that are taking some risks on goalies this year, hoping that they pay off. Cough, Toronto, cough, cough. If though if the, either of those bets don't work out, does Kent Hughes get on the phone with Kyle Dubas and do what, what Dubas probably should have done last year and trade for Jake Allen? We'll see. It's interesting. Montreal, um, in, a, in a league where I think there are more goaltending opportunities than there are goalies, it's not a bad idea to have three that can play in the NHL. All right. This one is the thing I am most excited to talk about, and it's Pierre-Luc Dubois again. Um, this week has been uh, an especially strong public pressure campaign from both him and his agent on the Winnipeg Jets to make him a Montreal Canadian, or at least to facilitate some sort of movement out of Winnipeg. There's a lot of a lot of good reporting from, uh, I believe it's pronounced Murat Atesh um, and Arpin Basu of the Athletic, following the trail on Pierre Luc Dubois. 
I'll summarize it here. Go check out their stuff. Um, they they have all of the, the news and notes. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a restricted free agent. He has the desire to play in Montreal, according to his agent, Pat Brisson. Seemingly, that's his only desire at the moment. The fact that Brisson is saying that in public makes me think that's where he ultimately wants to end up. But maybe it's just a way to get him out of Winnipeg. We'll cover both of those scenarios moving forward. Apparently, Montreal and Winnipeg have been talking about this for some time because Dubois thought a trade was nearly done at the draft, and he was at the draft in hopes that it would get done on the floor. It didn't. Montreal got Doc, but the athletic reports that Doc is not Montreal's endgame here, that, that yes, they got Kirby Doc, but that's not where they want to end. They want to keep keep building that center position, and Dubois is the guy that they're focusing on. There are a few players being discussed in the deal. Um, I think the Athletics said they were, they were, Montreal had a, had a proposal that had three players involved, but Winnipeg allegedly wants a player that Montreal has no interest in trading. That could mean Suzuki, it could mean Caulfield, it could mean both of them. That's just frankly not going to happen. At least it should not happen, and if it does, you, are, you need to question you know, what Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton are doing. Because it should not, that is not a trade that should take place in Montreal. I feel relatively safe in saying that it will not. Because if they're trading Suzuki, they'd be trading a younger, just as productive center in in, in Suzuki, who is under team control for eight more years. Like it just doesn't, it's such a risk and it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to do, especially for Suzuki, who you're probably going to end up naming captain sooner rather than later. Um, on Sunday afternoon, or evening I should say, the, the deadline for filing for players electing for arbitration was at 5 p.m. Dubois did not elect for arbitration by the deadline, meaning he is now eligible to sign an offer sheet. Likely not the route Montreal goes. Again, more on that soon. But it also means he can now hold out because if he went to salary arbitration, what the arbiters, the arbiter, what the arbitrator said would have been final and that contract would just be signed. It's usually a one year deal. They meet in the middle. Here's your deal. Because he declined, Dubois does not even need to negotiate with the Jets, and he can hold out until they meet his demands. Um, so at this rate, I feel relatively confident saying he's going to be a Montreal Canadian. The only matter yet to be decided is when it happens and how it happens. So let's roll through some scenarios. First, I think the the quickest option to getting him here would be via trade. Um, Montreal can try to trade for him, which is something I... I believe, and a lot of smart people believe, that makes it seem like I'm calling myself smart. A lot of people smarter than me believe that Montreal holds all the leverage in this situation. Dubois has two more years left of RFA status until he's a UFA. Montreal, they can just wait two years to get him as a free agent. And that aligns pretty well with the timeline that we've built and probably the Canadians have built for when this team will be competitive again. Winnipeg might need to take a suboptimal deal in a trade scenario for a few reasons. One, they don't want to lose him for nothing as a free agent. Montreal knows he's going to walk. So, listen, I don't have to trade you anything. So why don't you just take the deal in front of you? We'll both help each other out, and we'll move on. Um, the reasons that Winnipeg doesn't want to lose this guy for nothing is they traded him for Line A, and they they traded Line A and Roslovic for him. And losing him for nothing just can't be an option. It's it's such a waste of assets. It's essentially trading Patrick Laine for nothing. Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic for nothing. Um, 
Two, no other team in the league is going to trade for Dubois if his social in, if his sole intention is to play for the Canadians. Trade like if if Boston was interested in trading for him and they trade for him and Dubois goes, no, I want to play for Montreal. I'm not signing with you. So, you know, it might be Winnipeg's best play in all of this to make a, a deal with the Canadians. I, I I personally believe that's not the most. Um, it's not the most likely option, and I'll, I'm gonna wrap, I'm gonna chart those out later. Um, Montreal could just go the UFA route. This is pretty cut and dry. They just wait two years, and they sign him to a contract. They can sign him to a max seven year deal. Winnipeg gets nothing for him. That's it. There's not really much else to add there. Montreal just signs him. It's neat, right? They just get a really good player who wants to be here. Now that's probably the route that Winnipeg wants to avoid the most. They don't want to lose him for nothing, so they're going to have to figure something out. And the third route, because he did not elect for arbitration, he is eligible to receive an offer sheet. Um, this one's a little sticky. Let's theorize that Dubois gets an offer sheet in the $6.3 to $8.4 million bracket. Um, using the compensation calculator on Cap Friendly, if the Jets don't match... The compensation needed would be a first, second, and third round pick from the Canadians, and all three of those picks need to be the Canadians' own picks. They can't be picks they acquired elsewhere. So what that means is Montreal would essentially be sending their first round pick in 2023 to the Jets, which would be a bad idea because they are probably not going to be very good next year. And you'd be trading, you'd be sending them a lottery pick for Dubois, who you could just wait two more years and get for free. Like, think of it this way. Like, if Montreal ends up finishing last and they win the lottery and they they go out and draft Connor Bedard, in two years, you could have Bedard and Dubois. <laughs> so, like, it just, it from, a, from an asset management standpoint, it makes no sense for the Canadians to make this offer sheet. It could end up being worse than the Phil Kessel trade which wasn't an offer sheet, but you never, I do not give up future first round picks unless there's some kind of lottery protection. And even then you should consider not doing that. Um, plus, if Winnipeg matches it, something they have the cap space to do, they're not, they're, they're not having an issue signing Pierre-Luc Dubois because of cap space. They have enough of it. I think they've got 14 million at the moment. Dubois doesn't want to play there, so they've got all this money that they can't spend. So if you offer sheet him, I think they're more likely to, to sign the offer sheet unless it's absurd. And then they get all the they gain all the leverage back in that situation, as they they can't they're not even allowed to trade Dubois for a year. I'm pretty sure that's the the offer sheet rules. Um, and now they have the player under under contract, and he's going to have to just play for them now. And Montreal did all the hard work negotiating the, the, the terms for them. It would be Sebastian Ajo all over again. So that's a non-option for Montreal. I think that's an option that Winnipeg actually kind of likes because they either get to keep the player or they get, you know, three picks from Montreal, one of which has a chance to be within the top five next year. If I needed to put probabilities to it, this is what I'd say. A trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois at this point is probably at about 40%. Waiting two years for his UFA rights, I would set at 59%. And offer sheeting him is a 
because it can happen, but it definitely won't. Um, which then leads us to theorize on the trade package, which everybody does on Twitter. The general consensus seems to be that Josh Anderson and Christian Dvorak would be the centerpieces of the deal. The athletic kind of centers their theorized trade package around them. Um, it gives Montreal the cap space to then make a trade with, or sorry, make a contract deal with Pierre-Luc Dubois. And it gives the Jets a pretty well-rounded forward group. Um, is that enough for the Jets to say yes right now? Obviously not, because if it was, they would have said yes. Um, but Winnipeg is in a tough spot, and maybe this is a deal they end up agreeing to at some point just to get something for Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's going to leave them anyway. But they're not going to do it right now. I don't think we've heard the last of this rumor for, for the summer. Um, I think they, you know, with this, as the season approaches, as Dubois does not have a contract signed and he has to wait and wait and wait, it, that might get things moving. Think of it in the same way of like, like when, when the Leafs had players that held out or when, like, you know, when it was Nylander and Marner or when Kachuk did it in Ottawa. As you get closer, you start to, you know, I think Alan Walsh said it on the on his podcast, Agent Provocateur, deadlines clear the mind. So we'll get there. I just, there are a lot of options on the table right now. Montreal has to play this smart. I, I, have, I have faith that Kent Hughes will do that. All right. I got one last thing. It's kind of long, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, because I, I, said earlier that I thought that the Jeff Petrie trade was Hughes's worst piece of work. And I, I, I hesitate to say that because I don't think the trade was all that bad, but it certainly is a rung lower than any of his other trades. Um, I thought I'd actually put this together and build a tier list of trades that he's made so far. And I'll keep, I'll keep it updated as we move along. Um, so, you know, we, you will have an official, the build, um, Kent Hughes trade tracker tier list 3000. Um, so here's, here are the tiers. Um, most of these tier lists, they start off the same way. S is the top rank, A, B, C, D. F is like a completely f a failure of a trade. And then the final rung is just draft picks. So those are picks that like, they just flip at the draft. I'll keep an idea of what those are. So that way, you know, as we move forward, we will see what those players are and we'll see if that trade even mattered. A lot of the times, those trades don't end up having NHL players in them. So here we go. Let's start at the top. S tier. There's one trade in this tier so far, and it's the Ben Sherratt trade. Ben Sherratt at 50% retained for Ty Smilanic and a 2022 fourth and a 2023 first. Um, this one is robbery. It's Hughes' best trade by far. It's going to be tough to top that one because they traded a player who's, um, you know, his statistical value on a hockey team is very low. You're trading him for eye test things. And even at the eye test, he's not all that spectacular. He is handsome, though. So I guess maybe we lose in that, in that respect. But that's that's an S-tier trade from, from Kent Hughes. Um, a. So not perfect, but really, 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 really great trades. I have one in here. It is the Arturi Lekkanen for Justin Barron in a 2024 second. Um, I think it's a great return for a great player. They got more out of Sakic than he wanted to give up. This could move up to an S tier, but it's probably unlikely because Lekkanen is so good. Justin Barron would really have to like shine as a defenseman for Montreal. And I think Justin Barron's going to be really good. Um, but I think that one is firmly in the A category for now. 
Um, the B trades. I've got three in here. Um, Brett Kulak for William Legison and the 2022 second round pick, which became Lane Hudson and a 2024 seventh. Um, Legison was a warm body. He has the chance to become an A or an S. Or I should say this trade has a chance to become an A or an S if Hudson pans out to be the kind of player he can be. I mean, it's tough to rate a player based on what we saw in like five minutes of of training camp drills or development camp drills. But that said, players, people who know things about prospects have said if he was taller, he would have been a top 10 talent in this year's draft. Um, so very interested in that one. It could that could very easily move up if Hudson becomes the kind of defenseman that we um, we can s- sort of see budding there. Uh, Shea Weber for Evgeny Dadanov, Dadanov, Dadanov. I think it's Dadanov. Um, it clears a really long cap hit, and he gets a really short, cheaper cap hit, and a player that's actually still playing. So that was a nice bit of work for for Kent Hughes. Um, and the last in the B category or B tier is Alexander Romanov and the 2022 fourth, which became Isaiah George, for the 2022 first, which became Frank Nazar. This pairs with the doc trade, but I just want to judge it based on Romanov's value and what Montreal was able to get there. I thought that was excellent. I mean, I think Romanov tops out as a, as a four or five defenseman to get the 13th overall pick in that year's draft for him. And then knowing what they did with it afterwards, really great value for um, Ken Hughes. C tier, the busiest tier here. It's in the middle. That's how bell curves work. Um, Brandon Baddock for Andrew Hammond. It filled the need for Montreal, so they didn't need to keep playing hurt goalies and keep getting embarrassed. So, thumbs up. It's really kind of a shrug trade. It is what it is. Um, Tyler Toffoli for Tyler Pitlick, Emil Heineman, and a 2022 first, which became Philip Mayshar, and a 2023 fifth. It seemed just okay at the time. Like, I wasn't overwhelmed or underwhelmed. I was just very plainly whelmed by it. It was just nice to see them trade and get a first-round pick for somebody, something Mark Bergman literally never did. Um, it has the chance to move up if Meshar really pans out, um, especially since Tyler Toffoli, he, he showed up in Calgary in like the first few weeks he was there. He was lights out, and then he just kind of disappeared. He wasn't really a factor for them in the playoffs. So we'll see how that plays out. Let's drop my phone. Um, so if Meshar pans out to be the forward that we – have you know that prospect people seem to think he'll be that's a nice bit of business um the second time andrew hammond appears in this same tier andrew hammond for nathan schnarr um it gave hammond an nhl gig again um nate Schar chipped in in the playoffs on the rocket um in their playoff run so yeah decent you, you gave another goalie another shot and you got um you got nice depth in, at the ahl level and the last one in the C tier was the 2022 first, which was Frank Nazar, and the 2022 third, which was ends up being Gavin Hayes for Kirby Doc. Has the chance to move up if Doc hits his upside in Montreal, but Nazar also has the chance to be a great player on, in his own right. So we're really going to have to wait and see how that plays out. A lot of young pieces in there that make it really tough to judge that. Um D tier, this is where I have the Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling trade for Mike Matheson and a 2023 fourth. Again, like I said, I don't think it was great value on day zero. It might have been the best value available. It still doesn't make it any better for me. Um, It has the chance to move up. Um, You know, if Matheson really, really plays well and he continues the upward trajectory that it seemed like he was on, 
I think it probably tops out at C tier, maybe B tier, but we'll see how it works. Again, we're rating these against each other. So like, I have to be like, was this better than the um, Tyler Toffoli trade? Was this better than the Andrew Hammond trade? Was this better than, you know, any of those trades? So that's how we're judging, how I'm going to judge whether or not that moves up. I've got nothing in F tier so far. And in draft picks, there's just one, the 2022 fourth um, that they traded to Vegas for a 2023 fourth so they just traded the fourth pick to vegas the fourth round pick to vegas to move back a year um we'll see how that one works out i don't know any of those players um i have an actual tier list i will if you're if you are listening to this i have it it's on my twitter account at maybe it's Ian. go find it um and we'll keep that up to date all right i went 45 minutes and that was one take we we did a one taker that was pretty, that's pretty impressive, I gotta say. Uh, I'm done. Kent Hughes is probably making this obsolete as I'm gonna hit stop. Um, so if you got through it, thanks for your time. Um, again, I, your time is real valuable. If you're spending any of it with me, I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm gonna have some guests on here in the offseason, some of my friends in the Habs Twitter community um, to help give their opinions, showcase their work. Expect some of that later. Until next time, thanks for listening. Um, at Maybe It's Ian for my Twitter account, at RabbitHabs for the blog, which is really just hosting my podcast at this point. Not doing a ton of writing at the moment. That might change. Who knows? Um, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is a track called Inside by Fred Mugg. Check the description for a link to his Bandcamp page to listen to the rest of his other stuff, like his new album called Multimedia. All right, guys. Take care. See ya. See ya.